KMTT, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Todot, Gimel Kislev. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. There's two figures that we ought to discuss in Parashat Todot, and I don't mean Yaakov and Esav, but I mean rather Yitzchak and Rivka. And initially, at least, I want to focus more on Yitzchak. And what I'm going to say is not something that's tremendously new and has been discussed. But I want to give it a little bit of modern context. Yitzchak, being the second generation, is more of the established generation. Um, the idea of the second generation being the established generation is something that we come across not only here. Um, what comes to mind is David and Shlomo, the, the, the inability of David HaMelech to build the Beit HaMikdash stems from the fact that he had to fight for everything that he had, from the fact that he was the king, to the fact that, uh, to the lands that he conquered. And there was something about that that is not established. As someone who's fighting, not in the sense of, the, for some reason out there, the fact that David spilt blood made him in, unable to build a Beit HaMikdash, so that's the impression we get from Diver Yamim. But a closer read in Menachem Liebtag is someone who puts forth this theory successfully, is that David's not established. For the Beit HaMikdash, you need to have tranquility, you need to have quiet, you need to be established. And David HaMelech has too much going on in his lifetime to be able to build a Beit HaMikdash, though he's able to bring his son, the next generation, to a point of being established so that he could build the Beit HaMikdash. And really, David HaMelech almost builds the Beit HaMikdash. He gets everything ready for Shlomo. <coughs> or in other words, he makes it Shlomo established. So Yitzchak too has this idea of being established. And it's something that people point out that many of the actions that Yitzchak Avinu took parallel the actions that Avraham Avinu took, and in that sense established. Rav Bazak, and you can search this online, has done an, an, a very, made a very strong argument to show that though the actions of Yitzchak are similar to Avraham, they are in fact taking them a step beyond Avraham. There's, a, there's an improvement. And I don't want to go into the details of that right now, but... Um, Perhaps two examples, just briefly, he shows how Yitzchak, when he gets to the place, the foreign place, when he gets to Plishtim, he doesn't announce that Rivka is his sister, only when he's asked, he, he volunteers this information, and in fact Rivka is not taken as a, as a wife by anybody. Um, his dealing with Avimelech, he doesn't run to make a covenant with him and only then question his motives he questions his motives first afterwards and then he doesn't even say that he makes a breach, he has a shvu'ah 
Okay. Again, I didn't want to go into those examples. However, what I do want to discuss is the 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 being itself of being established. And here, just on a somewhat of a historical, perhaps some of some personal points of view, there's something nice about being established that things come easier. On the other hand, there's something enviable about being the person who has to establish things for themselves. A person who... and I'm taking this to something in in modern Jewish history of arriving in North America, where whether it's our fathers, or it's our grandfathers, or it's our great-grandfathers, whoever story, as ever it is, they had to come, and they had, went through poverty, and they had to establish themselves. Now, people who, the, the Jewish community who arrived from, from Europe really had to fight on tooth and nail to get by. And it's a, it's a very interesting story for humanity in general to see how that being in poverty doesn't mean that you always have to be in poverty. And the Jewish people who arrived here from Europe were in poverty. But, as I said, they fought in tooth and nail to establish themselves. And they were able to then send their children to, uh, to a proper education, to a university education, and their children already were part of American society. They were able to do what normal Americans do as far as schooling, as far as professions, etc. But those people who arrived and got off the boats who took whatever job came to them, whether it was a cleaning job, whether it was working in a tannery, whether it was working in whatever job it was, there are many excellent stories out there, they had a one narrow goal of survival. And that pushed them to the limits. When you're fighting for your survival, and you're fight, fighting, and it's not clear that you're going to be able to put bread on the table, you're... You, you're you're very motivated. You have everything to gain. You have everything to lose and nothing, everything to gain, nothing to lose. It's a very clear motivations, and people like that, some of them ended up becoming millionaires in that way, because they just use that tremendous work ethic to to establish themselves and then beyond. In some ways, it's very easy to live in that way. The established person, though his life seems to be easy because he has food on the table, he has an education given to him, he will go to high school, he will go to university, he will have a profession. But because because everything is so easy, he's less motivated, he is not sure what he's supposed to be doing. Should he do this? Should he do that? He's not satisfied. He wants to do something else now. He's not fighting for his survival. Or perhaps he thinks he's not fighting for his survival, and therefore he's less focused on the goal. And this becomes a difficulty and a challenge unto itself. And I think all of us can we get to bigger things like institutions so the person who established this in this school 
had to establish the school. He had to get the he had to get the students. He had to get the the, the funds to build the building. He had, there was nothing. Yeshivat Haratzion, Ravamital, and a few years later Luchenstein, they had to build from scratch a yeshiva. Now the yeshiva is forty years old. How do you take a yeshiva that's forty years old that you have the buildings? You don't have to run around trying to raise funds for something that doesn't exist. But you have to maintain this because if you don't maintain it, it'll fall apart. How do you do that? That's a bigger challenge because you have everything. You seem to be established. You don't have to seemingly work as hard as the previous generation because everything is there. And as I said, this is the advantage of the first generation. The first generation they see survival as their goal. And when survival is your goal, it's much easier to be motivated to work hard. The second generation, the established generation, <coughs> doesn't think survival is an issue, and therefore sort of sits back and relax, and relaxes. I think this is somewhat a lot to do with uh, then going back to our Parsha, to Yitzchak. The Torah describes that Vayhilo miknetzon umiknevakar vavudar abba vaykanu otoplishti. The Torah describes that Yitzchak, despite the, the, the famine, he was able to plant and to, to produce, and he became bigger and bigger, and he had flocks of sheep, flocks of cattle, he had servants, and the plishtim were jealous of him, and they kicked him out. They said, you're, you're too big for us. Now Yitzchak leaves and he continues to dig wells or uncover the wells that his father dug up. And then all of a sudden, Abimelech returns to him and says, he wants to have a pact with Yitzchak. And Yitzchak says to him, what are you doing here? You, you sent me away, you don't like me. Let's try to go back to their motivation. Uh, Abraham Avinu was was no small guy, and they weren't upset at him. They didn't throw him away. The circumstances were different, granted. But I'm going to give a working theory here to understand this. Yitzchak was successful, the Torah describes it, but perhaps the perception of Yitzchak was that He's his father's son. He didn't work hard for what he had to for for what he gained. Everything was there. It was given to him. And who needs him? He's a snob. He didn't work hard. Let's throw him out. So they threw him out. And what did they see when they threw him out? That Yitzchak is a worker. You're throwing me out. I'm not going to Mitzrayim because I'm not allowed to go to Mitzrayim. I'm not going back to the main part of Eretz Canaan because there's a famine there. So I'll live in the outskirts and I'll make my way here. And I'll dig out wells and you're going to stop me from digging wells. I'll move to another place. You're going to stop me. I'll move to another place until I find a place that I can sit comfortably without being bothered. And he's a fighter. And he shows that he's a fighter. And when he shows that he's a fighter, Abimelech's perception of him changes. And he says, We've seen that God is with you. You're not just Avraham's son. 
You're not successful because Abraham was successful. You're successful because of your own hard work. You have managed to overcome the second generation syndrome of being established, of not having a good work ethic. And you've brought God into to your life on your own. And this is the meaning of their sentence, Ata Baruch Hashem. You now are Baruch Hashem, not because of your father, it's you. This is your accomplishment. So that's person number one then, within this, how to overcome the second generation syndrome? By working hard. You have to overcome the difficulty to work hard and work hard nonetheless. Fight as if it's your survival which is at stake. Just like your parents or grandparents fought and worked for their own personal survival, and that's what got them to the heights that they reached, so too you have to work in that way. Sage advice. There's one more factor here, and that's Rivka. And I don't know if this is online anywhere, but I know that I heard this in, from, in Shul from Rav Bazak himself, where he draws certain parallels between Avraham and Rivka, or more precisely between Rivka and Avraham, and just some a couple of easy ones where he discusses that she came from the same place that Avraham did, and she had to leave her family and come to Eretz Yisrael. And some of the literary comparisons that she runs to do chesed and hurries to do chesed, just like Abraham ran and hurried to do chesed when the malachim came. There's a, a few more comparisons, but take my word for it. And here there's something fascinating, which is that Rivka then, in this comparison to Abraham Avinu, becomes a first-generation person. She has to overcome her own trials and tribulations and difficulties, as did Avraham. So what we have here then is an infusion of a first-generation, someone who doesn't have anything established, into the second-generation person, into Yitzchak. And this combination perhaps is a very healthy combination because if we take a person who is established and we pair them up with someone who is not established, who, who things are not taken for granted, who had to have overcome their own trials and tribulations, who had to come from a foreign land, leave their family and come to a, come to a new place. So that combination perhaps is a very healthy combination to help, to give a shot in the arm to that second generation. And on that note, may we all, wherever we are, whether we're first generation fighters or we're second generation established who have to learn and develop that ability to fight, may we understand our roles and overcome the difficulties that we face, just like Yitzchak and Rivka were able to in their time. Shabbat Shalom, and we... Hand over the microphone to Rav Bick.
in Parshat Tordot, we uh, don't have as many different uh, derivations of halachot as we had in some of the previous parshiot. There are some interesting ones. For instance, uh, in the beginning of Tordot, this actually is never seen in the Gemara as a source, uh, but it's the only example that we have, which is a halacha. Uh, after Yaakov and Esav are born, somewhat later, the first story we're told is about how Esav comes from the field and Yaakov feeds him. It says, Vayazid Yaakov Nazid. Yaakov was making a stew. The Gemara in Bababata, Taktet Zayin, connects this stew to Su'udat Hava'a. Obviously, it's not part of the Pshat. It's based on the Drush that says that that day was the day that Avraham Avinu died, which itself is based on a drasha that says that Avraham Avinu was granted a special extra years of his life so that he could uh, spend more time with his grandchildren. The day that Esav Yatzal Tabut Ra'ah Medrush claims that when he came from the Sadeh, why is Esav coming from the field? Because he would committed an act of murder in the field. So Avinu died the same day. And the Gemara explains, it just explains, not saying we learn from here, it just explains that what was taking place was that Yaakov was preparing special food for his father, Yitzchak, who was an avail, who was a mourner for his father, for the grandfather, Abraham. And there is a halacha, mentioned in the Gemara, that when you come back from the cemetery after burial, so someone else comes and prepares, someone else specifically comes and prepares a meal for the Avelim, the first meal after the burial. And the Gemara says that's what Yaakov here was doing. It, it, presumably the basis is why in the world was Yaakov cooking a meal? It seems a little bit strange too that Yaakov should be cooking his own meal. There's a rich people, they have servants. You don't find anyone else making meals in the heroes of the Tanakh. And uh, so they looked for a special reason, and the reason that was given by the Gemara is that he was preparing Surah Tafa'ah, and presumably something that he did himself rather than giving it off to somebody else, because it's a mitzvah of chesed. Um, so the Gemara Babacha says that it tells the whole story. Avraham died, and Yaakov was making a special, what is the Nazid? A special dish of beans in order to comfort, in order to console his father. And then the Gemara says, why beans? Now, this already is not getting to the Pasuk, because it doesn't say beans in the Pasuk, it doesn't say Adashim. The Midrash knows to tell us that it was a bean stew, and then asks why beans, and then it says, because beans are especially appropriate, they, they symbolize something having to do with death. Either they have no opening, or they're round, and it represents mourning, and that's where the basis for what I think is nonetheless only a minag but to me it goes back to the Gemara that this first meal given to mourners after death should include beans or another version is eggs also something which is round and uh, yes, it contains a hidden message about life and death cycle of life and death Okay, but no place to go actually say that we learn this halacha from Yaakov. 
very possibly because it's not really it's not really halacha it's simply it's simply chesed that if someone else should prepare a meal for them when they are so disconnected to taking care of themselves um, but it is quoted in Shulchan Aruch that uh, the Chetchila one serves uh, either adashim beans or uh, or eggs the Midrash Agadol Midrash which we only discovered recently was a Midrash which was preserved in Teman the Midrash Agadol learns a different thing from Yaakov uh, making the stew Ba'akatuv is what it says on the Pasuk Ba'akatuv l'lamdacha so there in the Midrash it says yes this is the lesson of the Pasuk Anvatanuto shel Yaakov Avinu teaches us the modesty is the wrong word here it teaches us the the self-effacement of Yaakov Avinu After all, his father undoubtedly had many servants. What happened? He it was the end of the day. Yaakov was coming back from the Beit Midrash. Yaakov was Yeshev Ohalim. What did he do all day? He learned Torah. Came back late at night because he's not going to come back early. He learns until it's too late to learn anymore. And all the servants were sleeping. Doesn't want to bother. Strange. The words in Hebrew are a little bit unusual. Doesn't wish to bother any one of them to take care of him. So it, it, I think there's even a contradiction between the two midrashim because if it's talking about sudat havaah, it's very possible that that in fact is the source why the midrash says it's about sudat havaah to explain why Jacob did it himself. Since it's a chesed, he wanted to do it himself. But the Midrash Agadol's is questioning why he did it himself. And says because it was late at night. And he didn't want to bother the servants, even though it's their job. But And, and he's the master, master's son, and they're the servants. But Yaakov felt uncomfortable, perhaps morally uncomfortable, in waking them up once they had gone to sleep. And therefore he, he cooked his own meal. Then that leads to the story with Esav. Another lesson found in the Pasha, according to Chazal, is one, not, not really a mitzvah, sort of a political suggestion. How to, how to get through life. And in fact, it's repeated in two different places in the Pasha, which I think is an interesting statement, both of which have to do with, um, one with Yitzchak and one with Yaakov. The beginning of the Pasha, Yitzchak has a battle. He has a, a un, very unpleasant encounter with the environment, with the shepherds of the kingdom of Gvar. And as a result of that, it says, they, they stuffed in, they, they filled in his wells, made it very difficult for him to live there, and so he left. He moved further away. Eventually, the king of Gvar, with his uh, commander-in-chief, will come after Yitzhak will go to this other place Yitzhak has gone to uh, basically to apologize right to, to make a brit to make a covenant to make shalom between them so it says Vayelech Misham Yitzhak Tanchuma Medush Tanchuma Yashan Tan Pashat Vayetze quotes concerning what 
Yitzchak did he just left rather than continuing the confrontation uh, dealing with the problem confronting it overcoming the opposition a famous pasuk precisely because of the lesson that Chazal learned from this pasuk. Pasuk Yeshayahu says, "Lechami, bo bechadarecha uskod latecha baadecha chabi maat chabi kimat rega ad yavozam." Go, my people, enter into your rooms, close the door behind you, hide a bit. For, for, for a short time until the wrath passes. The Tanchuma explains, When you see that the time is when you see the times are bad, not an individual perhaps danger, but the situation is very, very bad. Do not stand up against it. Give the hour, the difficult hour, give it a place. Put your head down. It literally means put your head down. When the wind, when the storm strikes, don't fight the storm but simply batter down the hatches. Go into your room, close the door, hide a bit, hide for a short while, and then the wrath will pass over and you'll be able to come out. I'm emphasizing the Hebrew expression which is untranslatable. It's, it's an idiom. But I'm going, to trans- I'm going to translate it literally. And I think everybody will understand. For he who stands against the hour, no fel biado, will be delivered into the hour's hand. He who grants the hour its place, lets the wind blow by, in the end the hour falls into his hand. And then the Tanchuma says, Yitzchak Avinu, Yitzchak Natan Makom L'Sha'ah, Ubesha'ah Shamrudo Plishtim Leich Mi'imano, when the Plishtim said, leave us, Miyad Ve'elach, he got up and he left. They didn't want him. He didn't fight them, he left. Ve'elach Misham Yitzchak, and here we see that the our situation, the people behind the situation, returned and fell into his edge. came after Yitzchak. He chased Yitzchak away, and then he had to chase. He had to follow Yitzchak in order to apologize, in order to come back into his good graces. I'm sure this principle will strike some of you as being difficult to swallow. It goes against the whole tradition, modern tradition, I think mostly, uh, of pride, Jewish pride, not bowing down. This is like a gullus attitude. The attitude which undoubtedly the advice given here probably was also one of the causes and was definitely followed by Jews in exile for many years. You didn't uh, attempt to fight against the nations in whose midst you were, who were frankly more powerful than you. If the times are difficult, you, you went into hiding and just hoped it would pass, and hoped it would pass over. The Gemara quotes this passage in connection with a question the Gemara asks in Sanhedrin when Daniel refused to bow down to the idol of, of Bavel, the idol of uh, the king of Bavel, 
we know that at the same time there were three other tzaddikim who were present in court. Chananiah, Mishael, Azariah. What did they do? How come they not mentioned? Why weren't they thrown into the uh, into the into the lion's den for the same reason? So the Gemara says they observed Chabimat Ad Yavozam. They followed the advice of this Pasuk. They put their heads down. They went into hiding. They simply went underground. As opposed to Daniel who stood up. He stood up and, and defied the king. Continued to pray to God and was eventually caught up and sentenced to death. I mean, God saved him, but he was sentenced to death. So it's very, it's very majestic. The Pasuk is clearly praising Daniel later on. It created a great Kiddush Hashem. But nonetheless, the Gemara refuses to criticize Chalaniah Mishael Vazariah and says they did the right thing too. Now, obviously there's a logical problem here. How could they both do the right thing? Uh, it's not that big a problem. In any event, the Pasuk says, here's an example of three great Sadiqim who really fulfill this less than glorious method of dealing with evil. You might say that uh, the better part of valor was knowing when to when to surrender, when to give in, when to avoid avoid confrontation. Interestingly, the um, Medrash makes the same point about Yaakov Avinu at the end of the Pasha. Esav is seeking to kill Yaakov. And Esav's mother and Yaakov's mother tells Yaakov, go, ubrach lecha, run away. The word is important to you. He didn't, he didn't, she didn't say to him, take a trip. She said, flee to Lavan, my brother in Haran. And the Midrash Lekachtov quotes this pasuk about Yaakov, that Yaakov went. And says the following: Kol Hatzadikim. Notice all Tzadikim, all the Tzadikim, notnim makom lasha'ah. Same expression. They give the hour its place. Yaakov Barach, Moshe Barach, David Barach. Three examples of people who fled. And the word fled, Barach, is the word that's used. Yaakov fled to Chavan. Moshe fled from Mitzrayim to Midian. And David Barach with Nei Shalom. David fled from Yerushalayim when his son Avshalom uh, led a rebellion against him. And then the Lekach Tov does the same conclusion. For he who the opposite of giving room to the Sha'ah he who presses the hour in other words he stands firm against the hour then the hour stands firm against him. Interestingly the Gemara in Bachot quotes uh, this expression about Kola Dochekat Hasha'ah and Rashi this says, who is the person who, the example of the opposite. We have examples of he who gave room to the hour. Those who fled. Yaakov, Moshe, and David. We previously brought the example of Yitzchak before the Plishtim. Give me an example of he who is he presses against the hour. Rashi says, Kagon Avshalom. It's the same story. David fled from Jerusalem. And Avshalom entered in triumph into Jerusalem. Shabikesh, Rashi is saying, Shabikesh limloch bechoska. Avshalom uh, attempted to seize the throne by force. 
In other words, if it's meant to come to you, it'll come to you. Obviously, we know Chazal not saying one should not make an effort. One should not be firm. One should not stand up for truth. I'm not saying you should just wait around for the fruits to fall into your lap. It means it's a somewhat more extreme expression, but there is definitely an advice here which I'm not going to try to to propagandize for. Uh, I just think everyone should take into consideration that the ideal, which others you get from from Hollywood movies, from other places, that the man tilting against windmills, the man who goes out into the storm and defies the wind, is not really Chazal's uh, image or ideal. Because to bang your head against the wall, the wall will bang itself against your head. Apparently there's a certain expression, Lashir makom, latet makom, lasha'a. Certain amount of knowing that some things have to be. And they're not there for you to fix. They're there for you to persevere. And Avshalom, for whatever reason, he thought that he should be king. But there's a certain order in the world. There's nature, there's storms, there's in our world, there's oppression. There's a certain order and there's not everything can be overturned just because you want. There's your will to quote a famous expression, which we talk, uh, we actually glorify in. If you wish, it is not a legend. Because I was saying, not always. Human wishes will not reform the world. The person has to learn to operate within the world, including, extreme case, including hiding from the world, but operate within the world and not imagine that you can make your own world any way, any way you want. Okay, that's what we have to say about Pashat Taladot. Shabbat Shalom Umevorach.